Today, we will probe the question, is there a difference between the righteous and the wicked? So if you have your Bibles, please open it up to Malachi 3, and we will be reading 1 through 4, Malachi 3, 1 through 4, and I will be reading from the NIV version. So it'll be on the screen as well if you want to follow there. Uh, hopefully you do have your own Bible. It's kind of nice, you know, looking at it for yourself. But Malachi 3, 1 through 4. I will send my messenger, this is the Lord speaking, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant. Last time we learned that the word for covenant is bidiet, and it's this deep type of relationship. It's I am yours and you are mine. And it's what the Israelites had with God and it's what a husband has with his wife and vice versa. Whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites. The Levites were the priests. And refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. As in, the, as in days gone by, as in former years. We have seen that Israel has had been going through a rough season during the time of Malachi. The priests were giving cut-rate sacrifices. They weren't giving the best of the best. Israel's family had sinned with itself through adopting the religion of foreign wives and also by having divorce on demand. There was injustice. The Israelites called evil good and good evil. But God still loved. The Hebrew word for loved is, is ahav, and hopefully you remember that. God ahav the Israelites. Therefore, because he so loved the Israelites, he would bring purification. He would refine the Israelites. But before he would do that, he would send his messenger, a messenger, a messenger would prepare the way before the Lord. Clearing the way meant to remove obstacles of self-interest, spiritual tiredness, and evil behavior. The, mes- the messenger would prepare the hearts of the people of Israel. If we look ahead in the New Testament, currently we're in the Old Testament with Malachi, but if we go to the New Testament, we will see that the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, is that promised messenger that Malachi speaks of. Jesus said about John the Baptist in Luke 7, 27. This is Jesus speaking. This is the one about whom it is written. So Jesus is quoting Malachi. I will send my messenger ahead of you. And he's talking about John the Baptist. Who will prepare your way before you. John the Baptist prepared the way. For who? According to Malachi, this messenger would prepare the way for the Lord. 
the master whom the Israelites looked for, who they were desiring, who they were hoping that he would come. The ruler would heal them and help them. John did have a powerful ministry, but his ministry was less than the ministry of, of the Lord. He, his main ministry was to prepare the way for the Lord, for this ruler. Luke 3.16 says, here's John the Baptist talking and answered them all. He said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John recognized that another one was coming after him who would be more powerful than him. John was just a messenger. This person would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Lord whom John had prepared the way for was Jesus Christ. He is the Lord whom Malachi speaks of. The Lord will enter his temple. That's what Malachi said. And the temple is the place where God's spirit resides. The day when he comes will be such a holy day. Many, many of the prophets saw this as one day or one coming. And while the first coming of Jesus Christ was marvelous, we know that there's a second coming of Christ. And within that second coming, it will be really like a refiner's fire, as Malachi said, or a launderer's soap. But here in Malachi, don't, don't think of the lake of fire or Dante's Inferno or some Hollywood Western conception of hell. Here, the main point is not suffering fires or, or fires of wrath, but instead it's refining fires, fires of purification. The Lord who would go to God's temple would be like a refiner's fire. And Jesus, although he has just come in his first coming, he can still refine like fire. He can burn out the impurities of the heart. Like a launderer's soap, Jesus can clean our hearts from sin. Malachi was preaching hope when he spoke of the Lord. A day is coming when the Lord will come and sin will be dealt with and our hearts will be purified. A day is coming when God refines the hearts of his people. What fire does to, in, in separating the slag, we don't, we don't think about blacksmith, but, but maybe you've seen a video. They, they burn the, the, the metal and remove all the slag from it to make it pure. And then soap, we, we deal with soap. We use soap to wash our clothes. That, that's the type of cleansing work God does for his people. The Israelites would have been ecstatic to hear that the transformation of the heart is possible when the Lord arrives. And let me tell you, the Lord has arrived. Jesus 
has come. And as John said, he baptizes with his spirit and fire. And on the day of Pentecost, we went over it earlier on when we had these previous services. The, the spirit of Jesus appeared as clothing tongues that were, were flaming. And it was over the church in the upper room. And it purified the hearts of the church. The spirit continues to purify our hearts. And this fire would also purify the priesthood, the Levites. So that's, that's amazing. It's, it's good. People through the spirit will bring offerings and righteousness. Instead of bringing cut rate sacrifices, they'll be bringing offerings and righteousness because of what the spirit had done within their heart. They would give the best of the best because their hearts would be in the right place. The change of hearts occurs through the Spirit because of the Lord. Changing hearts, many of us know it's hard to help a person change something within. Changing hearts can be difficult. But through the Spirit and love of Jesus, hearts can change. The priesthood that gave cut-rate sacrifices can have their hearts so changed that they will give offerings and righteousness. But refinement does involve dealing with impurities. So God needs to deal with some bad people. Look with me at Malachi 3.5. It will be on the screen. So I will come to put you on trial. This is the Lord speaking. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers. Against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. The impurities that God dealt with to refine his people were sorcerers. Sorcerers were people who, who dealt with other gods or elements to do their will, to accomplish their will. Adulterers were the second type of people, people who cheat, who are unfaithful. Perjurers, people who lie, say that they're saying the truth, but they're actually lying. They promise that they're saying the truth, but they are not. God will testify against these people. And he will also testify against those who defraud laborers of their wages. Of these bosses or employers who don't barely pay their laborers. They just care about making a profit instead of helping people. They could be helping people by giving them livable wages. God will testify against these type of people. And God will testify against those who oppress three types of people. The Bible regularly teaches to protect and care for the widows, the fatherless, and the foreigners. We should not deprive the widow, the orphan, or the refugee, or the foreigner, or the migrant from justice. Instead, we should fear God. And by fearing him, we would 
advocate justice and protection for the widows, the fatherless, the orphans, and the foreigner. Widows and and orphans represented two disadvantaged groups of ancient societies. They were easy targets for economic exploitation. God desired that his people would defend and help the widow and the orphan. There were laws that God had given Israel. There was the Torah that God had given Israel that Israel should have practiced to to protect the widow and the orphan. God cared about these things and he and he still cares about these things. He does not change as Malachi 3 6 says. It says, I the Lord do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. If God cared about the widows, about the orphans, the fatherless, about the, about the foreigners back during the time of Malachi, he still cares about them now. The Lord does not change. He is the same forever. And if he made a promise to protect the Israelites, then the descendants of Jacob would not be destroyed. God is faithful because he's the same He's immutable. He doesn't change. Whether the Israelites recognized it or not, whether they were faithful or unfaithful, God is faithful. According to God, the Israelites were unfaithful. The Israelites had failed to recognize and observe the decrees of God. But yet, Malachi 3, 7 says... Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. So they were disobedient. But then he says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Even though the Israelites had turned away, God had said, return to me. And I will return to you. God's mercy is never ending. If Israel repented, if they turned to God, God would welcome them. But how could Israel return? They needed to get some stuff together. And it started with their giving, their offering. They were robbing God. Look at Malachi 3.8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God responds, in tithes and offerings. The Israelites had to give tithes. This word tithes may sound unfamiliar if you're, you haven't been in a church that gives tithes, um, the tithes belong to God for administration in Israel so that the priesthood could be fed. So the Israelites would give tithes to the temple and that would give the resources to help the priests be fed. And the, the priesthood would also use the funds for humanitarian efforts like helping out the widows and the orphans. 10% to tithe is a tenth. 10% of every prophet would go to the temple. And the temple would administrate the funds according to God's word. They would use it 
to help the widows, help the orphans, help the foreigners. It was an offering of 10%. So if an Israelite had received 10 sheep, it, and the Israelite was supposed to give one to the temple, one to God. It was an act of worship. The Israelites had actually three tithes. Um, one tithe was given from the land to the priests. So whenever they got land, they had to give 10% to the Levites. Another tithe was from their food, the eating portion. A tenth was supposed to go to the Levites. And the third tithe was collected every year, every three years for the poor. And it was a big deal not to pay tithes. So much so that the nation was cursed because it did not pay its tithes. Malachi 3 9 says, You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. But the Israelites still had an opportunity to be blessed. Look at Malachi 3 10 12. So they didn't pay tithes, but God is giving them an opportunity. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. If the Israelites had, if they brought their tithes, God would bless Israel. Even though they had cheated God. God would open up the floodgates of heaven and bless them tremendously. The Israelites had thought previously, oh, if I keep 10%, if I keep the funds, if I keep the tithes, I know how to administrate it better. I, if, I, if I keep my gifts without giving them to God, I will bless myself better than God blessing me. But in reality, humans sometimes, they, they don't know how to handle funds and consequently they become cursed. The Israelites were cursed. One scholar, uh, she said this, Joyce Baldwin, she said, A proverb taught that the man who gives grows all the richer, while the one who withholds that what he should give only suffers want. This was the outworking of the curse on the stingy giver. For God cannot bless the individual, church, or nation that can spare him nothing. The Israelites were cursed. It's a proverb, a common truth. God cannot bless the stingy giver. However, if they gave the tithe to God, they would be blessed, super blessed. The nations would, would call Israel blessed and, and Everybody would recognize that submitting to God is way better than trying to do things our own way. I, I, I think right now, as we're talking about tithing, it, it could be fitting to talk about whether the church uh, has to tithe. Um, the tithe and the church, what, what's the relationship now? Does the church have to tithe? 
And from my conclusion, uh, the short answer is no. I know there are some who disagree with me, and that's okay. Um, we could still fellowship and worship together. But the tithe we see here was for the Israelites to administrate the funds. It was for the nation. It wasn't for the church. The church does not play the same role as the temple did. The early church doesn't talk about tithing. But the early church does talk about giving everything to God. And how that looks like looks different from each person giving everything to God. Um, but I do think there's, there's benefits in giving first fruits to God, like divide a certain amount each time you get paid. Maybe it's 10% or 20 or 5. Elida and I, we try to do 10% and give that consistently for the church so the church could plan accordingly. Even though we don't think it's required to give a tithe, we still do it because it's just an easy number. But whatever percent that we receive, it's for the maintenance of the church. And the church will strive to support humanitarian efforts and our worship gathering. And it's helpful to set an amount first before paying anything else and saying, God, this is for you. You could give it online and you just save it. And then when it's, when it's church, you could bring it here or however. And that does something. You're clear, I'm giving it to God. And it does something within your heart. But I do want to be clear these words about tithing are for Israel. They're not for the church. But if you still want to give 10%, God honors that. So pray and ask God like how much he wants you to give and give that cheerfully whenever you do give. And may the Lord bless you with that. Now we will be entering a portion of scripture that I had to work on for an entire semester in grad school. I tried to modify it so it's fitting for this passage. It's uh, Malachi 3.13 through 4.3. Um, and we look at this entire thing. I know that we're in Malachi 3 and then going to Malachi 4. But in Hebrew, it's just one entire passage. So that's why we're just going to continue. And then we're done with the book of Malachi. At least looking at it verse by verse. So... Israel in Malachi 3.13 to 4.3, and you could check your Bible, but we'll be looking at passages here and there. So Israel had seen the word of God as vain. Regardless of what God had said, all of the temple worship and duties continued to be dishonorable towards God. The Israelites had seen no purpose in serving God and practicing justice as God had revealed it. Because they saw that what was evil in the eyes of God, what was evil in the eyes of God was actually good. They were calling what God had called evil good. The Israelites had an arrogant attitude towards God. In this section, the arrogance of the Israelites culminated and, and God responded to the arrogance of the Israelites. God declared that, the, that Israel had spoken arrogantly to him. The Israelites were saying that serving God was futile. According to the Israelites, there was no gain in sacrificially following God's command. No gain. The Israelites had called evil good. The Israelites called the arrogant good. Further, the Israelites 
thought and believed that evildoers prospered and could escape God's judgment even, even after they had sinned against God. Nevertheless, Malachi wrote that there are benefits to serving God. God will remember those who honor him. On a future day, God will act to elevate and spare those who honored him. Those who said that serving God was futile will see that there is a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Since a day is coming when a fire will burn the evildoer. And since the day is coming when the son of righteousness will heal and strengthen those who honored God. God fears will be victorious over the wicked. Malachi began concluding this book, his book by reminding Israel to keep the Torah of Moses, the law of Moses. The prophet also reminded Israel that the day of the Lord is coming. On the day of the Lord... The prophet Elijah will meet his people and start changing the hearts to prepare the way for the Lord to come. If hearts do not change, God will will destroy the land. So, in the first part of this section, Malachi 3.13, it says, You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? The Israelites were arrogant towards God. They had spoken arrogantly towards God. The Hebrew word for arrogant is hazok, hazok. It's uh, like lock, <laughs> that weird <laughs> sound in the beginning. Hazok. Um, and, um, and this word has been used to describe kings overriding good advice. They just put it aside uh, they, they get good advice, like say Nathan and David, and Nathan gives King David a good advice, and, and if David is arrogant, he's hasok, and does, ignores the, his friend's advice, Nathan, prophet Nathan, his advice. Similarly, the Israelites, just like the kings, were sometimes overvaluing their perspective. The Israelites were valuing their perspective over the words of God, over his advice and guidance. They thought that their way of doing things was better than God's way. And God confronted their arrogant talk. But the Israelites denied God's charge against them via question. What have we said against you? What have we said against you? The Israelites were arrogant. Sometimes when we think it's either our way or the highway... It doesn't matter what God or other people say. Even if they confront you with facts. You're just going to stick with your guns and and maybe say insincerely or ironically, Oh, how have we messed up? Well, the Israelites had messed up because they were saying that the work that was directed to God, like religious service or temple work and church work, that that was futile, that there was no purpose in serving God. No purpose in giving their best to God. No benefit in working for God and giving sacrificially. And their reasoning was this. 
Those who serve God, they, they walk in mourning and do not receive a, a reward. But the wicked, they break God's command and are not punished. It's like we might see a Christian serving God wholeheartedly. And we see her suffering because she's trying to live for God. And then we see a wicked person exploiting people, stealing money, having no care for others. And it looks like the Christian is suffering for no reason, while the wicked is receiving rewards and not being punished. The wicked are living with greed and oppressing people, but there seems to be no judgment. So what's the point of serving God? The Israelites who served God appeared to be walking in kodaratnit, which this Hebrew word conveys this idea of having a dark or gloomy facial expression, a face that mourners possessed. So these Israelites saw that these people who served God saw how sad they looked. Maybe these, these people looked sad because they were just sad about how the world was so sinful, how their country was going, their nation. But, but the Israelites noticed the sadness of those who serve God and the rewards that they didn't get. And they compared it to the wicked who don't serve, who oppress people and yet don't get punished and get rewards. So the Israelites concluded, serving God is pointless. Doing wickedness is good. Being arrogant against God and doing wickedness was better than serving God. Since serving God would make you look like you're mourning. The wicked could test God by breaking his laws, his Torah, breaking his wisdom. The wicked could test God and escape his judgment. The wicked could prosper. So is there even a point in serving God if, you know, the wicked could escape God's judgment and prosper? In Malachi 3.16, well, the wicked spoke harshly against God. The righteous spoke to each other. And it says, those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. So we see the righteous, those who fear God, and they're talking to one another. And you know what? God did. So while the wicked spoke arrogantly towards God, the, the righteous spoke to each other. And God heard what the righteous said to one another. He heard their words. God hears the words of those who fear him, those who fear God. When Malachi references God fears, he's talking about people who revered, honored, and showed faith in God for his covenant, his bidiet, his, his covenantal relationship. The righteous were not like the wicked. Their speech was different. They didn't speak harshly against God. And here, here's something to note. 
Although the wicked said, there's, there's no point in serving God. Malachi just noted that God hears the words of the righteous. There's something powerful about God hearing the words of the righteous. God heard the word with the words of the righteous. And then a book of remembrance was written before God for those who feared him and esteemed his name. This book may, may appear odd to us. God writing a book of remembrance. He remembers all things. God remembers all things. He's omniscient. He knows all things. But yet at the same time, there's a book being written with the names of the righteous. Well, in the Hebrew Bible, there's this image of God having a scroll. And it appears frequently. You could check Exodus 32, 32 to see an instance of this. In Malachi, those who fear God will be in the scroll. In Exodus, Moses pleaded with God to keep Israel within the scroll. Another example of the scroll of this book being written is Daniel 7, 10. Malachi said God would spare his treasured possession. You could see Malachi 7.10. It's a vision. The courts was seated and the books were opened. And this is, if you read in the context, this is in the presence of God. So there are books being opened. So in Malachi 3.17, the passage that we read, this book would, would, be, would be used as God spares his treasured possession. In the next verse, so Malachi 3.17. And the book was opened in the presence of the court in the vision of Daniel. So Malachi referred to God's scroll to communicate to a Hebrew culture that, that understood God's scroll as a record of his righteous one. And God might use this scroll in a court, like in a king's court. And this was a scroll of remembrance. Interestingly, the word remembrance isn't connected with any book or scroll elsewhere elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible. This is the only case when it, remembrance is connected to scroll. The Hebrew word for remembrance is zikaron. Um, this word is used within the courts of kings, and it was used to connect, connote the idea of a, of a reminder or a memorial day, a symbolic object or a record. So Malachi, by using this image of a scroll of remembrance, he, he was depicting God as a king who had a record to judge accordingly, to incite, to invoke his remembrance. There's no indication whether this book is literal or figurative, but the point is that when God judges, he will remember those who feared him. Therefore, in the coming day, God will elevate and spare those he remembered, those who feared him. In addition to those who feared God, those who valued the name of God, by keeping his name in mind and, and in heart, by observing the covenant, the bidiet, and the Torah, the instruction of God, those who observe the words of God will be remembered. Those who valued the name of God would be remembered. So, is there value in serving God? Is there value in fearing and revering God? 
and obeying God and serving him and valuing his name and trusting in him. The answer is a loud yes because God will remember the righteous, those who fear him and those who value his name. Contrary to what the wicked have said, there is value in following God. In Malachi 3.17 to 3.24, we see the result of being written in the book of remembrance. The prophet Malachi began teaching that on a future day, on a day God is preparing, God's people would be his own possession. His own inheritance. The Hebrew word is segalah, and it's a pretty popular word in the Hebrew Bible. So in addition to being spared from God's judgment, the Israelites whom God remembered will be preserved as his children on this future day. This future day stands for a period of time. It doesn't necessarily speak of a 24-hour period. The tradition of speaking about a specific day is prophetic. The prophets spoke about this day that would be the day of the Lord. Malachi saw the coming day as a day of judgment and redemption. God will redeem and elevate his people. And the ones who are written in the scroll of God will be God's segolah. Segolah. This word is reminiscent of the personal and unique status that the, Bible, the Hebrew Bible conveyed, conveyed when it spoke of Israel as God's treasured possession. The word segolah connotes the covenant, the bidiyit God had with Israel, the covenantal relationship. Consequently, the Israelites who feared God in that coming day will be once again God's own segolah. A word that is reminiscent of the beautiful relationship that Israel had with God after the exodus. After God had delivered Israel from Egypt, God would spare his own people from judgment. He will spare those who revere him just as a father spares a son serves him. Serving is reminiscent of serving in the temple. Fathers have compassion towards those who serve him, those sons and daughters. God will have compassion towards the Israelites who serve him. Uh, This is a simile from the image of a family, common trend within Malachi. Earlier back in Malachi 1.6, Malachi used the imagery of sons honoring their father to describe how the priests should honor God. Evidently, if you honor God by serving him, he will remember you. He will spare you. There is a difference between the righteous and the wicked, as Malachi 3.18 states. There is a difference between those who serve God and those who don't. It clearly says you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. It might feel that there is no difference right now, that the wicked and the righteous, they all prosper, or maybe that it is better to be wicked, but no. There is a difference. God will demonstrate that there is a difference. 
the righteous will be spared. Then in Malachi 4.1, it continues to elaborate how God will distinguish the righteous from the wicked. Surely the day is coming. It will be, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. A day is coming. And while currently it looks like wrongdoers can escape God's judgment, in the coming day, no wrongdoer will escape God's judgment. And it might sound kind of rough, but remember, think about the picture. Wrongdoers, they were oppressing people. They were hurting people. They were inflicting pain to the widow, to the orphan, and to the foreigner. Those who have feared God, on the other hand, and honored him will see the coming day as a day of restoration. But the evildoer will see the coming day as a day that is burning like a furnace. Again, don't, don't, don't think of the lake of fire or modern conceptions of hell. But do recognize that there was a biblical understanding of evildoers facing fiery judgment. The prophet Joel if you looked at another prophet, he, he was like Malachi and demonstrated that, that on the day of the Lord, the wrongdoer will face burning fires. The wicked think that there's no difference. But the Bible reveals that the wicked will suffer judgment when the righteous will be restored. This judgment, uh, because of the language, the coming day, it, it kind of it, it conveyed like eminent catastrophe. That the wicked people of Malachi would suffer. It was a figure of speech to talk about this destruction that would occur with different nations. But there's still, there's still wisdom that we could glean from this. Because while presently it looks like there is no difference between the evildoer and the righteous, the truth is that there will be a day when God will distinguish the evildoer from the righteous. We have read Revelation. We know that there will be an ultimate day of the Lord. Although the evildoers of Malachi's day did suffer some during his time, they will fully encounter God's justice during the second coming of Jesus on the day of the Lord. There will be a final judgment. And in this judgment, the evildoers will be completely uprooted. Nothing will be left. That's what the language Malachi used. Malachi said that the wicked would not have a root or branch, completely annihilated. As, as a tree is gone when it loses its, its roots and branches, the evildoer will be annihilated. So don't tell me that there's no difference between the evildoer and the righteous. Look at what happens with the righteous. Malachi 4.2. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. According to Malachi, the righteous will have a blissful experience while the wicked will suffer. Those who fear God's name will experience blessings. 
Those who fear God's name will experience the rising sun of righteousness and its healing. Malachi is using a figure of speech to describe the amazing healing that the righteous will experience. The sun that consists of righteousness will come and righteousness will be apparent like the shining sun. How can we think that there is no difference between the righteous and the unrighteous? Look, there is a day coming when righteousness will shine like the sun. The sun is a positive image in the Bible. 2 Samuel 23, 2-4, The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, When one rules over people in righteousness, so we have this word of righteousness again. When he rules in the fear of God, so we're talking about a specific ruler, he is like the light of morning at sunrise. Light of morning at sunrise. On a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. So here we have an image of of sun and righteousness meshed together over one that would rule and the fear of God. Then in Luke 178, we see an angel singing. We, we know the story of the angel appearing to Mary. And an angel sings a song, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. So an angel singing Luke, to talking about the birth of Christ in Luke. Both speak of the sun rising to come to his people. There is hope in both cases. The angel of Luke appears to have connected the son of Malachi 3.20, the son of, of righteousness, and maybe even the ruler of 2 Samuel 23.4 to talk about Jesus. Years later, Christians use the imagery of the sun to refer to Jesus. In Ephesians 5.14, this is why it is said, this is Paul speaking, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The Apostle Paul used the image of the sun to speak about the light that Jesus shines on his people. Paul understood that Jesus was God's righteousness. And he perceived that Jesus is the one like the sun who who shines on his people. Malachi didn't think of Jesus because Malachi existed hundreds of years before Jesus. He didn't have a fully developed view of the son of righteousness being Jesus. But it is possible that Malachi was thinking about the Messiah. He was thinking about one who was coming, who would bring his judgment. And we know that the the Messiah now, years later, looking back, is Jesus. And he is the son of righteousness who has healing in his wings. And this is a deep type of healing. It's more than just the opposite of disease. It's also the opposite of disaster and trouble. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, brought us shalom, was on him. 
and by his wounds we are healed. We know through Isaiah 53, 5, that through Jesus' suffering, he has brought the healing that the prophets desired. Because of the son of righteousness and its healing, those who fear God could walk differently. Malachi described that the ones who fear God will gallop with like well-fed calves. This, this is conveying a sense of joy and freedom. Earlier in the passage, the arrogant perceived those who serve God as what? They, they were walking in what? They were walking in mourning. But now we see in Malachi that those who fear God will skip joyfully. How things look like right now, it's not always going to be like this. Maybe there are seasons of mourning. But because of the son of righteousness, the righteous will skip. And the wicked will receive the justice, the judgment that they deserve. The wicked, the ones who spoke arrogantly, the ones who said that it's not worth serving God will be like ashes. The day of burning will make the wicked ones into ashes and the oppressors will be trampled over. And their victims, the righteous ones, will be the ones trampling over them. It's like the humans are crushing the serpents with their feet. It invokes the image of a king triumphantly planting his foot on the chest of a defeated enemy. A great reversal takes place in the passage we read. In the beginning of our time, the wicked spoke harshly against God and harshly against those who served God. The arrogant saw that serving God was futile, pointless, and that the wicked have prospered and escaped God's judgment. But as we are finishing up, we have seen God reveal that on a future day, serving God has its benefits. And acting wicked was a mistake. The wicked will no longer be in a place where they could presume that serving God is futile. Instead, they will suffer God's judgment under the feet of those who revered God. There is a day that is coming when God will judge both. He will judge and he will also save. And on that day, it matters whether you revered God or not. Like in the times of Malachi, there are presently people who speak against God. They say that God is dead or absent from this world. They see the evils present within this world and they conclude that the Lord does not listen or that he doesn't care. And some people think that it is futile to work for God. All we do as a church here in Encounter Church and all we do as followers of Christ is ultimately in vain. That's what they say. People say that we could put our time, our efforts somewhere else in a more profitable work. They think that those who strive to live holy lives are striving in vain. The world says, as the Israelites said during Malachi's ministry, that the church walks like mourners. Those in the world think that everyone should enjoy the pleasures of life since they have witnessed people enjoy sinful pleasures and and it looks like they escape God's judgment. God is active, however. He might not immediately bless the righteous or judge the wicked, but 
God remembers. He remembers the deeds of the righteous. God will remember whether people chose to honor him, to honor his name or not to. There is a day coming when God will remember those who feared him through the adoption work of Jesus Christ, the church with righteous Israel, will join together to be God's treasured possession. In the future day, the church will feel the son of righteousness through the person of Christ. We feel it to a degree today while we were worshiping it. I truly felt the son of righteousness and a deep healing within my soul. But those who have spoken arrogantly will finally see that it is worth serving God. They will see that not serving God was a mistake since they will suffer for their sin. The church should strive to do God's work. Malachi taught that temple work, marriage, caring for the vulnerable, and honoring God are all essential. Thus, you should consider how you are serving the church, how you are honoring your marriage or your relationships, caring for the vulnerable. How are you doing that? How are you honoring God? Even though some people may say, oh, your work is pointless. The church should maintain the attitude that God sees our actions and remembers our deeds. And I end with the words of Malachi. We have less than a minute, four four through six. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the Torah. The decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great day, that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. We're not alone in this task in honoring God. God has sent his prophet Elijah. He has sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for the Lord. That was a title that Jesus used for him. And he prepared the way for the Lord, for Jesus Christ. John prepared the way for Jesus. Through Jesus, we have the opportunity to change our hearts. And honor will be restored within God's family. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting with us today. I pray that we may have a change of hearts. That we may see that the only way that we could change our hearts, and it is very crucial that we change our hearts, that the only way that it is possible is through the refining power of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit our hearts can change. Maybe we, we've been irreverent, careless about the things of God. Maybe we've thought whether it really matters or not if we follow Jesus. But as the words of Malachi teach us, there is a point in following you, Father. There is a point in, in giving up certain desires and sinful desires and 
And it was part of the point is that we, we feel your, he, your healing power. Part of the point is that that's the type of life that you have created us to experience. Part of the point is that in the last days, because of our faithfulness, because of the change that you have created in our hearts, our faithfulness only occurs because you have changed our hearts. Part of the point is that in the last days, we'll experience blessings. In the day of the Lord, we will walk victoriously. And even though presently we may become sad because of the things of life, because we see maybe people living different lives and we see injustice in this world, we know that those who revere God's name will be elevated. So Jesus, I pray that you may be with us. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, we will continue with worship, but I, I pray that as you're singing uh, the song that we are going to sing, that you, you have God just minister to your heart. And maybe you found yourself at one point to like an adulterer, like a perjurer or sorcerer, or somebody who was oppressing somebody, but there is forgiveness and there is the possibility of hearts changing. There is redemption. There was a part when we read God said, if you come to me, I will come to you. And God does that. So I pray that as we're singing this song, you just, you, you just say, I'm going to you, I'm running to you. And the Bible says, Malachi said that you will come to me. So make that your song, make that your prayer.